Welcome to the Hanover Valley Podcast, a ministry of Hanover Valley Presbyterian Church. We are located at 133 Carlisle Street in downtown Hanover, Pennsylvania. Check out the rest of our website at hanovervalley.org. Thank you for listening. You can be turning to the section from which our text is, our sermon is based today in the book of Mark. We're looking at this next snapshot. I'm going to uh, mention something that we didn't mention during uh, this morning, but but it is marks today. Is that the uh, we, you recall a couple of weeks ago the Eisters presented that they're going to be uh, who have been at Gettysburg College uh, with Disciple Makers, a ministry that we've had a very close association and continue to. That they're going to be moving back to their hometownish areas in Berks County, and uh, that's going to be ha- actually uh, uh, we're sad to see that happen, but we're excited about the advance of their ministry in their lives. But that's actually going to be happening tomorrow and so we're very sad uh, that that they will be uh, that they won't that there's you know Jordan's still going to commute for the rest of the semester here and there to Gettysburg College to do some work and and uh, and to, to make transition there but we'll mostly find their epicenter in Berks County Reading area and uh, be praying for them uh, be praying for their move tomorrow and as the weeks progresses into their new home and uh, that God would give them grace and we will miss them terribly so you can be doing that privately and, and through text and whatever as you go. Um, we're looking at, uh, Mar- at the book of Mark, a, bo- a book full of, s- of short stories, of short snippets of the life of Christ. The, uh, uh, snippets we're calling um, snapshots of the life of Christ, the person, as it were, um, selfies that he made in this one in particular, uh, a story where he, we see him in, con- in connection with just one person. Uh, there, was a, there was a moment... Um, a number of years ago, I happened to be getting some warranty wor- uh, work done on my phone at the Apple Store. So I'm in, I'm in the Apple Store, and, um, and across the way, and, I, and the Apple Stores are usually pretty crowded because you've got to gotta get an appointment, and then you've got to wait. And as I'm waiting, I happened to see a gentleman come in, and he, and he had this, he, he was taller and had this bearing about him. And I felt like I have seen him before, but I don't, there's no reason because I'm never in Baltimore that often to be able to see him. But I just had this sense. I kind of know who he is. And then, and then as he's in there, you know, he's just sort of striding about. And then people came over and talked with him. And, and it seemed like maybe he was known. So I, I leaned over and I said, is that who I think it is to the, to the person who was helping me? yes. That is, that's Lamar Jackson, the MVP for the NFL, uh, Ravens quarterback. And I'm going, that's why I know him. And I go over to the guy, and he, there was hardly anybody was around him. And I'm thinking, how is this possible that he's not flooded with all these people? So I go over there quick, and I go, Mr. Jackson, I'm just, so, I'm just a big fan of yours, and I, would you mind if I took a selfie with you? And he says, no, not at all. That'd be great. I said, you're doing a great job. He had just had a horrible loss, by the way. And I said, great job. I mean, tough Sunday, but you're doing a great job. Really appreciate all you're doing for the team. And just a big fan. Cheering for you. Take a selfie. So we took a selfie. Um, I have it in my phone. So why did I do that, though? Why did I do that? Well, because I wanted to be able to, I mean, because I knew that if I go, if I'd gone around and told you this story, or told, actually, I didn't really, wasn't trying to tell you the story. There's a pic, couple of particular people in my life that I was going to tell this story to. And I didn't, I mean, it's easy to say, hey, I saw Lamar Jackson. But now I have proof I saw Lamar Jackson and that we're buddies now. Because, <laughs> I mean, it looks like we're buddies. 
on the thing. He's smiling. I'm smiling. It's like we had lunch afterwards. Um, but uh, I did that in, in order to, to mark a moment in my life that was, that was interesting and that was fun and that was memorable and that tells you something about me and about what was going on in that moment. And Mark, the book of Mark, does that story by story. It marks a moment in the life of Christ that Mark said, this is valuable. This, I, I, I spent a lot of years with him, and I know, and this will tell you something about who he is. Because Mark's goal, as all the gospel writers' goals were, was to show you enough of Jesus to, to captivate you by him and that you might fall in love with him. Because I, I believe this with all my heart, is that if, if you met the real Jesus, Jesus for who he really is, the person, the person that, uh, that he actually is, you could not help but fall in love with the man. I believe that. Most often, the reason that you may not or that people you know may not be in love with him is because they haven't met him. They've met some stereotype in their minds. They've, they've been confronted. Or, or they're kept from meeting him by a stereotype they've created in their own minds, which happened a ton of times in the, in the life of Jesus, is they couldn't get past the real Jesus. And you're going to see a little bit of that in because they have constructed a barrier, a filter that the real Jesus couldn't get through. Let's look, if you will, at this snapshot. Jesus and Levi, as it were, uh, Mark chapter chapter 2, starting at verse 13. You can be following along, and I'll read it as we go. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would, uh, that you would be in our, in our investigation of your word today. You tell us that your word is living and breathing. It's a living and breathing uh, document, and that as we engage it, Lord, it, it cuts into us. A scalpel's knife to cut away uh, the uh, imprecision and cuts away to the bone and the marrow of who we are at the very center of us. And Father, I pray that you do that uh, skillfully. Do it, do it as the great physician would to, to uh, heal us of our diseases and of our, and of our misconceptions and that it might, as we see you for who you are, to captivate us, to give us, to give you our lives and to fall deeply, desperately in love with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I don't know um, I don't know if I don't 
like going to the doctor. I don't, I don't know if I'm afraid of the doctor or I just don't like going. Becky, Becky says I get nervous to go to the doctor. I'm not nervous of, of doctors necessarily. I mean, they do procedures. As a matter of fact, I have a really great relationship with my doctor. You know, um, generally he's always fiddling with tender areas of my body and does it really well most of the time. I say most of the time because some of the time it hurts. But I think the reason I have this unusual relationship with doctors isn't that I don't, I'm afraid in any capacity. It's that if, it's that, and the reason I might hesitate to go is because if I go, I just don't want anything to be wrong. <laughs> you know, I've got this, you know, bruise or something hurts or it's when I swallow or I've got this discoloration or a growth or, or pain or, you know, and, and pain in an unusual place. And then I'm like, and I'll say to Becky, you know, I've got this pain. Do you think there's anything wrong with it? And she'll, her, invariably, she'll say after like the third time I ask, why are you asking me? I don't know. I mean, she says that very kindly. I don't know. Go to the doctor. Talk, call John and ask him if you can get an appointment. And then let John tell you if there's an issue. I go, but I just don't want there to be anything wrong. So we avoid the doctor because we don't want anything to be wrong. Um, I tell you that because I think um, Jesus... In the end, when Jesus talks in this story that we've just talked about, he says uh, is that uh, the physician comes to heal the sick. The physician doesn't come to well people. It comes to sick people. And so if you're around Jesus, if you're, if you're spending time with Jesus, you know, what he's basically saying is if you're spending time with me and I'm spending time with you, it's because you're sick. And that's not always pleasant news to hear. But the doctor heals sick people. The doctor cares for the sick people. The doctor addresses the sickness and wants, to be, wants us to be free of that. And that's what Jesus, what we see in this particular story here. He's spending time. There's a couple of, there's, there's as it were, three surprising, surprising elements, surprising little things in this story. One of the first things that's surprising in this story is who Jesus befriends. Who's Jesus, who Jesus' friends are surprising in this story. And, it, and, and it's not just surprising. I mean, it, it ought to be surprising because it was surprising to the people in Jesus' day who he befriended. The other thing that's surprising that we're going to look at that's here is what that produces. When Jesus is your friend, when Jesus befriends you, it, it, it produces a very surprising effect. And then... The other thing that's surprising in this passage, in this snapshot, isn't just who Jesus' friends are and what, his, what being his friend produces, but the other thing that's surprising is that people are surprised by that. <laughs> it's surprising that there are people in this story that are surprised. And Jesus comments on their surprise. He knows about their sense of, this is odd. Because when, when they walk into the experience, very, they go, this is very odd. And they ask, they ask around, doesn't it, isn't it odd to you? We're going to look at that. It's surprising who Jesus befriends. He, he befriends Levi 
in this story. And, and it's surprising that Jesus is, is befriending this man on two different levels. It's, Levi was a tax collector. You probably, if you've been around here any length of time, you've probably heard me talk about what a tax collector was in its day. Um, it was, it was, tax collectors in the day in which the, uh, Jesus is living was, a, was sort of a franchise. The Romans would, would hire out, would, would, um, would um, give tax collecting franchises to people to be their means of gathering resources for the Roman Empire. And so in this instance, Levi would have owned a tax-collecting franchise, which meant that franchise was responsible to give the Roman government X number of dollars annually or monthly or however it works, but let's suppose it's $500. Each month, you're, you're, you're due to give me, he, the franchise would stipulate, you're, you're due to give the Roman Empire $500. And basically, the Roman Empire, it was an unregulated system apart from it getting their mo- the Roman Empire getting the money. So the franchise was given to Levi, and Levi would then go, was then unregulated in how he came up with that 500 bucks. So he would collect the taxes, and the taxes would be collected. So if he had to give $500 to the Roman Empire, it wasn't just a, well, i got to find $500. Bucks. Um, no, because the reason you own a franchise is because you want to make, ta- make a little money on the side for yourself. Maybe not on the side, but down the main. And so I owe $500 to the Romans. That's for my franchise. That's what they get. But what do I get? And in an unregulated system, I can get whatever I can get. So maybe he's... He's saying, and then he's going to different people saying, this is what you owe. You know, maybe you owe me $10 for the Roman tax, but I'm charging you $50. And so 10 for, 10 for Rome, 4 for me, 40 for me. 10 for Rome, 40 for me. And so, that, and so you can imagine, knowing that this operates in the community, knowing that this is how taxing occurs, that it's a franchise, can you imagine how Levi was treated? Can you imagine what people thought of Levi in the community as a money-grubbing, uh, um, snake in the grass, just trying to, t- trying to get out of me more than was owed me to line his own, to line his own pockets with, in an unjust system, in an unregulated um, oppressive system. So on the one hand, Levi, this person, Levi, would have been ostracized in this community, would have been hated in this community, would have been despised by everyone that came in contact with him because he had already rooked everyone in town. So he has no friends. He is an outsider at the, at the, at the fullest extent. And that's how people were treating him. That's, and, and in some ways, people might, you might say that's justifiable. Uh, so in terms, of his, in terms of his lifestyle, he is the victim of ostracization. He is the victim of being an outcast. But on the other hand, he's also, not only is he a victim of his own consequ- consequences of his own sin and a victim in the culture because, the, because everyone is pushing him out, not, and he has no friends, he's isolated and alone. Not only is that his condition, but he's also predominantly greedy, selfish, Self-absorbed, 
only in it for himself. How much can I make out of you? My, your life in service to my needs was the way he came at it. He was, and you know, maybe you know, a capitalist on steroids, as it were, in this capacity. A complete, unhealthy relationship with money and things and covetous desires. That's the person of Levi. And Jesus says, Jesus comes along and sees him, passes him by along his regular route. He's preaching, he's healing, he's being inundated. He's being, Jesus is preaching and teaching and, and caring for people and healing demon-possessed Lame people, all the people that we've seen up to this point. This is his life. He's being inundated by people night and day. Even when he's in an isolated place, Jesus is constantly being, being uh, drawn upon to accomplish what is necessary for the people in the town to care for their needs in some capacity. And he's passing by as, as he's teaching along the lake after having done all the, all the ministry that I've just described. He sees Levi and he stops. He takes the time, Jesus makes time, makes room in his life, that makes room in his life to befriend someone that many in his culture, and you and I, many, would never consider as possible friends. Jesus spends time, Jesus makes room in his life for people that you and I would simply never consider, that we pass them by, that we don't even see them as people often. And there are people in our lives that, we, that because of our dislike, because of our, of our distance, because of our, of our disengagement with the, with the world around us, that we simply objectify. We objectify them because of, their, because of how distant we are in our connection. We, we objectify them because of their lifestyle, because of their attitudes, because of their positions on things, because of the morality. We objectify them, and we just don't consider them possible life encounters. Who are those people for you? When I've, when I've talked uh, and, and taught classes on sh sharing faith and befriending, because you know, sharing your faith and witnessing and, and uh, doing evangelism, is basically, it's basically friendship. It's, ba it's, it's intentional friendship. Um, getting to know someone and be, and that, it's exactly what Jesus is doing in the life of Levi. It's seeing him, seeing his complete misunderstanding of how finances are supposed to work and, and selfishness and, and, uh, and commerce. He's completely messed up completely objectifying and, and, and terrorizing people, and yet he's also ostracized. So he's the, he's the agent of sin, but he's the victim of sin, all in one person, and that's, the true, that's true for everybody. And the great physician, the, the, the doctor, the, the healer, comes and sees him and wants to be his friend in ways that you and I objectify people. Who, who are the people? So when I, when I talk about what evangelism really is, it's just, ba it's, it's, just, it's just basic friendship, love of another human being at the, at the deepest levels. Um, who, who are the people and how do you make those friendships? How, do you, how are you intentional with the people around you? And I, sometimes I'll ask the question, uh, just to kind of get at the idea of how we objectify and how we use people. This is a simple way of doing it, is that when you go to the grocery store, Here's a grocery store question. When you go to the grocery store, 
What determines the line you get in? Do you ever think about that? What determines the line you get in? There's a lot of different ways to determine the line. Maybe, you, maybe you'd rather do it yourself. So you go through the self-checkout. But of all the other lines that are, that are there, with, don't you, often you pick the line that maybe you pick the line because you've got kids that doesn't have the candy in it because you don't want last-minute grabbers into the candy. So you just go through the line that doesn't have all that. Do they have lines like that anymore? Or maybe, or maybe you, you like me, I pick the line that's shortest. Why? Because I want to get out. I'm not, that's not why I'm there. But what if you pick the line based on who the cashier was? Oh, right, they have cashiers, don't they? There are people who are doing the job there, right? Have you ever picked the line based on the person who was there and you wanted to be able to have an encounter with them? Or is shopping for groceries mostly about you? Jesus made time in his immensely pressing life. And we see this constantly in the life of Jesus, where he's always stopping to befriend the most unusual, marginalized people. Levi was marginalized. He marginalized himself. He's the victim of his own, he's the you know, consequences of his own sin, of his own choices to some extent. But Jesus saw in this man, hmm, let me put it this way. He didn't see it. He, he saw in this man the potential of grace to make him great because he was a sinner. Jesus saw the potential that grace could have in his life. And the potential that grace had in Levi's life was Levi became a, an apostle. Jesus, Levi became one of, the, one of the foundational preachers, teachers, church planters of the early church, which ultimately then started there and ends up in Hanover, Pennsylvania because of Levi. And Jesus saw in him, saw in him the, the raw material where grace could abound, where grace could transform, where grace could do something that nothing else in his world could do for him. Levi was trying to make himself great the best way he knew how. And it was destroying him, just like unhealth does, just like sin does. But Jesus saw in him something you and, I, you, and I don't, you and I don't see the potential of grace. We don't measure people based on the potential of grace. We see them based on the potential of what they're doing. They're immoral. They're distant. They're, they're, they've got something wrong. They're, they're, their character's out of whack. They just don't know how to treat people. And we write people off based on the distance they, that we believe they are from God. But constantly Jesus is saying and befriending the very people and saying to, our, to us in the Scriptures, and one of the things that struck Mark in this story was, I need a picture of that. I'm going to include that in my snapshots because it's I never would have imagined Levi. I never would have picked Levi is almost what, you're, what, what Mark might have said. I never would have imagined that Jesus would have befriended Levi. That's just crazy. And come to find out he did and changed him and made him something that he could never have made into himself. Unhealthy as he was, 
Jesus' life was constantly surrounded by sinners like this, wasn't he? In his life, in his living, surrounded by sinners. When Jesus walked into a room, there were two kinds of people, sinners and him. Even all the way down to his death, hung between two sinners. And he welcomed them to himself. Surprising what Jesus does with sinners. Surprising that he befriends sinners. He loves people. He loves to, to see in them. He loves them and wants them back to himself. And he's not put off by their, by their illness. He's not put off by their disease. He's not put off by their betrayal. And he's not put off. You know, the, when, I, when I go to see John, my doctor, um, um, John's done some procedures on me that, ha that don't make me happy with him. I remember he cut me one time, and I cursed at him. And he laughed at me. And then, and then he salved my wound, and he shook my hand, and he sent me home and said, that should do it. And it didn't, and I had to come back and he had to do it again. And I said, John, I cursed at you when I didn't know what it was going to feel like, and what do you think is going to happen when I, when I know what it's going to feel like and what I'm going to do this time? He laughed and shook my hand, cut me. Jesus is a, Sinners and unhealthy people can be the most irritable, off-putting people there are. And Jesus welcomes them. Jesus is not put off by our irritation. Jesus is not put off by our unhealth. He's not put off by our immorality. He's not put off by our sinfulness. He has come to us because he sees the only health, the only way, the only, the only healing that can occur is if he comes and does it. The world cannot deal, the culture you and I cannot deal with our unhealth. We cannot deal with the unrighteousness, the immorality, the sense of guilt, the sense of shame. There is no, there is no answer in this world for that. There's supposed answers. There's self-help books. There's ways to mask it. There's ways to, to gloss over it in some capacity. There's ways to put it aside in some, in some strange idea. But what Jesus is telling us is, I'm the only one that can deal with your guilt. I'm the only one that can deal with your shame. I'm the only one that can deal with the wretchedness that you feel inside of yourself, and I'm not put off by it. I'm here to heal it. Come to me. Come to me. I love you. This, uh, Tony, Tony Campolo, who's a, who is a uh, speaker, uh, uh, college professor in, uh, at Eastern University in Philadelphia, he tells the story of how he was speaking uh, in, in some part of the world where, his, where he was on jet lag and he had just gotten there and he was still up at all hours of the night and he didn't feel, and he wanted to, he didn't want to, he didn't want, he wanted to get over the jet lag and so he just stays up. And so he went to a late night diner somewhere around two or three in the morning, and he overhears. He's sitting. He's sitting in one of the booths, just sort of doing whatever Tony Campbell, he's a pastor, uh, does uh, to overcome that. He's a speaker uh, and was and was looking, preparing to do a message, I guess, the next day. And he and he tells the story of how he over. He was listening to some women talking in the booth behind him. Um, and it, by the virtue of their conversation, he says he 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 could understand that that one or all of them were 
prostitutes. And, they're ta- and the one that was talking was sharing how the next day was her birthday. And the others sort of laughed and go, well, what do you want us to do? You expect us to throw you a party? And she says, no, of course not. I, you know, I haven't had a party in years. <laughs> I mean, I, haven't, I can't remember the last time I had a party. I don't expect that. Yada, yada, yada. And off they go about their lives. And Tony Campolo, hearing this, goes to, the, goes to the owner of the restaurant or whoever was there that evening and says, do these gals, are these women, do they come in all the time? Oh, they're here all the time. Every, you know, this is, their, this is their thing. He says, great. He says, could you, if I paid for it, could you bake a cake? The one has a birthday tomorrow. Could you bake a cake for her and maybe get some supplies and, and have it here t- tomorrow and I'll pay for it? He's like, all right, whatever. So he did. Comes back the next night, 3 a.m. They're there. And he throws the party and she comes in. Big party. She's in tears. She's in tears about this whole experience. And Tony then comes clean. Hey, introduces himself. I'm Tony Campolo. And I'm so happy that I could do this party for you. And, and I'm actually a pastor. And I, and I don't want to, you know, I don't wanna, I'm not trying to get in your life. But would you mind if I prayed for you? And she said, sure. And she, so he prayed, God, just, I just pray that you'd bless her and that you'd help her to see your love and that you'd be gracious to her and thank you for her. And so Honor went about the day and the, and the owner comes up and says, I didn't know, I didn't know you were a pastor. Where do you get off doing this sort of thing? What kind of pastor does that? What kind of church does that? He says, well... Kind of pastor, the kind of church that throws parties for prostitutes at 3 a.m. Jesus, Jesus befriends the outsider, throws parties for tax collectors and sinners. And the surprising thing about when Jesus becomes your friend, when when Jesus becomes your friend, you you get excited to introduce all of your friends to him. That's what we see happening with Levi. Jesus. Jesus befriends him, and then Levi has him to dinner and all of his friends. Grace is exciting. Grace is, grace is, in, is engaging. You know who's not excited about Grace. The religious legalists, the, the religious moralists, the religious Pharisees that you see in this passage, they're not excited about grace. When you haven't received grace, you're not really excited about it. When you don't see the power of grace, you're not really excited about it. But grace is exciting, and grace is something to be talked about. And when you get it, you can't not talk about it. You can't not spread it around. You can't not, when you get your debts forgiven when you get when you get loved by someone you never expected one of the surprising when the savior surprisingly loves you in a way that you never thought possible when a world rejects you and forgives you of your sin and your shame and overcomes your guilt and empowers you with his righteousness to then live free without a sense of obligation or or without a sense of condemnation that kind of grace excites you. And, and Levi was excited about this new friendship. He was excited about this grace he was being given, and he wanted his friends to know about it. And so they all show up. They all show up. And so you've got 
church people. You got, you got in this room, in this mini church where they're having dinner, you've got Levi and his friends, sinners all. You got Jesus' disciples, because many people followed him, it says, and his, and his apostles in the room, people who get it, people who don't get it, and then people who can't get it, the Pharisees, all in one big room. That's what grace does. Self-righteous people are not excited about grace. Why? Well, because self-righteous people don't need grace. Self-righteous people are about what I'm doing. My self-righteousness, my the righteousness, the ability, the 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 power I have in my own life. It's about self-reliance. And what, and what self-righteous people ultimately don't get is what sin is. Self-righteous people are often people we look at and go, oh, they're, they're superior. They're, they see themselves as morally superior, uh, morally better, morally sort of condescending. Self-righteous people stand above and go, you're the sinner's, you're the problem. Those out there don't want to be like them. I'm, I'm, I'm more advanced. I'm more self-righteous than you. you. That's the attitude, right? That's what self-righteousness is. But see, self-righteous doesn't, self-righteous people don't know what sin is. They think they know what sin is because they're looking around going, that's moral that's it, or that's immoral. That's, that's wrong. That's sin. Your sin. There's the sin out there. But what ultimately sin is is not about morality. It's about living life apart from God. Living life not relying on God. That's the nature of what ultimately what sin is. Living life independent of God. And self-righteous people, because they don't see a need for God, they're living independent of God and therefore the deepest and most dark sinners in the way that they're defining. They're just living life independent of a need for God is ultimately what our unhealth is. Levi was living independent of God, and it led him down a life of immorality and fear and, and, and marginalization. And you and I, in our lives, we live a life independent of God, and we make choices, and we're trying to live it independently by our own wits and the, and the, and the, and the, and the self-righteous moralists, Pharisees of their day and of our day, live our lives be, trying to be so better on our own, that we don't need Jesus. And therefore, we only dive deeper into our sin, the sin of self-righteousness, the sin of supermorality. Avoiding, you know, uh, Flannery O'Connor, the great Southern, the great Southern short storyist, she says, the greatest way to avoid God is to avoid sin. By your own efforts. Yep. Living life, self-reliant, independent of God. And so these people are at the party, and they're surprised that Jesus has so much interaction. Jesus 
is that they're surprised that Jesus has this much interaction with sinners. How could you spend this much time with this with these off-putting people? And Jesus says, the thing that's surprising is that you're surprised by that. Why would you be surprised that a physician has come to heal the sick? Why would you be surprised that perfection has come to make perfect that which is imperfect? Why would you be surprised by the one who is the Prince of Peace would come to end the war that exists between his people and himself? Why would that surprise you? I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. I've come to be for my people. I've come to own what they cannot pay for. I've come to, to, to remove their debt and fear. I've come to, to remove the distance that exists. I've come to seek that which is lost. And basically what you see here is a mini, is a mini version, is a, is a real-life version of the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son... Levi is befriended and comes home to his father, and his father throws a party because he has found him and because he has healed him and because the grace of that relationship has drawn him back into proper relationship with the Savior. And then the older brother looks on and says, where do you get off throwing parties for sinners like him? And the father is even gracious to that self-righteous attitude. The father in that story is so gracious. He goes out to the self-righteous son and says to him, Son, I had to welcome him in. That's what my, that, I mean, he's my son. I've forgiven him. He was lost and now he's found. I get to have him again. We get to have him in, in, in great relationship. We can, be, we can forgive him and we can do the surprising, gracious thing. Come in. And the brother says, no. The story actually ends there. It ends with the father, the story of the prodigal son, ends with the father telling him, everything I have is yours. Everything, you could have anything you want from me because you are my son. But in his self-righteousness, he wouldn't have it. And so in the end, the story ends, him outside the party, living in his own rejected, he was creating the rejection, creating the distance between himself and the Father by his own self-righteousness, by his own legalistic, moralistic scrutiny of his brother's life and the, and the failure to have that scrutiny on his own life. And he lived outside of it. The tragedy, the Father goes to even him. And Jesus in this story says, I've come for the sick. I've come for sinners. Are you one? He wants to say to the he wants to say to the Pharisees, and he is saying to the Pharisees, "Are you sick just like Levi? Are you are you a sinner just like Levi and all of his friends? Are you in need of me? Are, do you want me? Do you do you have a do you have a desire to have me? Because if you do, come in, come in, and I will heal you. Come in, and I will forgive you. Come in, and I will cleanse you. Do you have the need?" And the Pharisees and the older brother say no. I'm good. If you can't come into the party, if grace isn't exciting to you, 
It may be that you don't know you're sick. You haven't felt the need, the shame, the guilt of a righteousness because what Jesus is saying, what Jesus is saying by his comment is to the self-righteous is you can work your fingers to the bone and you still won't have done enough to cleanse yourself. Let me cleanse you. Let me be for you what you can't be. And this is the attitude that the church cannot coddle in any fashion. This self-righteousness is not something that can be, because the father did not welcome him. The father in the story did not welcome that attitude into the church. He did not welcome it into the house. He did not say, come in with your self-understanding of righteousness. You come in based on my system of forgiveness and grace. You don't come in based on your system of self-righteousness. And the church too often coddles that attitude at at the expense of Levi, his friends, the prostitutes, the younger brother. Jesus says, I've come to heal the sick. I've come to forgive the sinner. And if you are one, you will find your grace. And it will change you into people of great potential, to be changed, to not remain as a tax collector, to not remain in that place, but to move forward and to become usable for the world and drawing others to know Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you see us in need. You see us in our shame and guilt and fear, and you see us in our in our great betrayals and sin and, and uh, attempts to, to live our lives independent of you. And it leads you to compassion. It leads you to want to know us and to befriend us that you might change us and heal us, Father. Re- reveal within us the ways that we avoid you and your grace, the way that we live self-reliantly. That we might find you in whole new ways and your grace becomes far more exciting and transforming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.